Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. As the year comes to a close, our staff is writing about our favorite sports moments of 2019. Jason Concepcion explains the year in 10 pieces of pop culture, and we break down the last 10 years of the Marvel Universe. Also, ahead of the new Star Wars movie coming out next week, the staff's discussing Baby Yoda, Rise of Skywalker romances, and what the Resistance will do if they win. You can check this all out on TheRinger.com. Hello and welcome to another special emergency edition of the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bowen and I'm a staff writer at the Ringer. I'm joined by my fellow staff writer, Ben Lindbergh. Twice in one week. I'm spoiled. We I'm talked almost in weeks. getting tired of you, man. <laughs> this is a lot. And from the snowbound San Juan Mountains of Colorado, it's staff writer Alfred Packer. How you doing? I admit I don't get that reference. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad the the blizzard has restored your internet briefly <laughs> enough for you to to make this uh, uh, appearance on the show. You just compared me to a cannibal. I just yeah, googled the guy. <laughs> the the South Park guys, like one of their first one of their first productions was a, a musical about the life and times of Alfred Packer, which I only know because a, uh, one of my college roommates was in a production of this musical. Uh, so I've seen it, and it's not bad. Um, Snowing where I am too. Yeah, it's snowing where I am too. The stove is hot. The stove is melting. All the snow all around me. Uh, I wish that was the case. Just hearing about Ben's or not Ben Zach's uh, snow problems makes me worried because I know whatever he's got now, I'm going to get in a few hours. So mm-hmm. that's going to suck. Uh, what doesn't suck is more hot stove action, as you said. Um, James Wagner of the New York Times writes that the Yankees finally got their white whale. Uh, and that means Garrett Cole has signed a nine-year, $324 million contract. Uh, Zach, you did the initial reaction blog off this. Will getting the white whale work out better for the Yankees than it did for Captain Ahab? I think so, given that they've gotten him and he uh, they reeled him in. I'm not quite sure how to extend this nautical <laughs> metaphor, but Garrett Cole signed late last night as I believe you were already in bed, Mike, and I was about to go to bed. Um, and then the news broke and it was for a lot of years and a lot of dollars, uh, as we'll talk about, but also as was expected, especially as we talked about after Steven Strasburg signed his deal and Garrett Cole's contract could only climb from there. If it's not like the Yankees can't afford this. And I think given that they have exhibited financial restraint in recent years, at least relative to what they've done before, it seems it speaks highly of Cole that they were willing to go this high for him. A team like the Dodgers, uh, Andy McCullough reported, was going to break their sort of free agent drought to sign Cole as well. And it just seemed like he was such a phenomenal free agent. He could break through all of these ideals of financial restraint. Yeah, I, we were talking about this on Monday's show or whenever that was that Strasburg signed. Um, that The idea that how long has it been since a free agent pitcher is attractive as Cole has, well, I guess attractive is not the right word because Cole Hamels and you Darvish have both been on the, <laughs> the free agent market pretty recently, uh, as, uh, as attractive from a baseball perspective as Garrett Cole. Like it's been a while since somebody like that has, uh, reached the reached free agent market. And in a time where the gap between good pitcher and great pitcher is, is 
as stark as I can ever, ever remember it being. I mean, the two guys who signed right now are as good examples of any is what a pitcher like Cole or Strasburg can give you uh, when you get to the, when you get to the postseason. So um, yeah, Ben, like the, the money is just, I mean, even <laughs> as somebody, even as a pay the players guy, it's uh it's a little bracing because we're not, we're not used to seeing, you know, nine figure, contract terms that start with a three or nine-year contracts for pitchers and so you know yeah that's like yeah the the pitchers and and the years that's the the most jarring thing i mean we were conditioned to expect it by the strasburg deal and even by the zach wheeler deal i mean if wheeler's gonna get 118 million then the the verlander (laughs) and kershaw deals too like the aav is not that it's Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's a record, mm-hmm. but it's barely a record. Whereas the nine years for a, a pitcher, particularly, that is something that we just haven't seen. Have we seen that since like Wayne Garland in 1976 or whatever what it was? It's I just, was going to say Bob Turley in like yeah, it's 1957 been, or something. Well, yeah, that was just reserve clause. That was perpetual. <laughs> just, I, believe, I believe this is the longest pitcher contract since Wayne Garland, who yeah. made over his 10 years less than $3 million. Yeah, right. And, you know, he lasted about half that contract's length, I think, which obviously the Yankees hope will not be the case. I mean, it's the standard long-term contract. You hope that you get more than you're paying the guy. You get more than your money's worth for the first half or so of the deal. And then it doesn't do too terribly on the back half and it ends up working out. And And the Yankees, look, they're the Yankees. And this is a, a Steinbrennerian move of the sort that they haven't really made all that much lately. Of course, they traded for John Carlos Stanton, which basically they just got him for taking on his contract. That was two years ago. They haven't really made a major free agent splash for five years or so or or even longer going back to before the 2014 season. And, you know, they traded for James Paxton last year, but that was more of a a prospect move than a money move. But they can afford to do this because they have been really restraining themselves when it comes to spending. They got below the competitive balance tax threshold, and it sort of seemed as if they were treating that as an end in itself and that they weren't actually going to do anything after they reset their tax rate. And so it's sort of a, a relief to their fans, I'm sure, to see them not only strive to get under that, but then actually actually do something after they get under it and and kind of blow things up a little here. But they can afford to do that because they have a lot of guys who are in their pre-arbitration years or in their first year of arbitration eligibility. I mean, when you're getting as much production as you're getting out of Aaron Judge and Glaber Torres and Gary Sanchez and a bunch of guys who aren't even in their arbitration years yet, then you can't afford to have a Stanton on your roster and a Cole on your roster. And, and Cole, of course, is as good as pitchers get. Yeah, at the this Steinbrennerian thing, I, I think that's my biggest takeaway from this. And, you know, I'm cognizant of uh, my status as not as never having been a Yankee partisan, which makes me unique among people in this conversation. But it, it is like it's comforting to to see the Yankees behaving like the Yankees. Like it sort of defeats the purpose of being the the evil empire if you're not going to behave like the evil empire. And so, yeah. you know, this is just sort of, you know, as much of a bummer as it is to to see that the Cole is going to have to get rid of his five o'clock shadow and, and uh, sort of pseudo mullet thing that he's had going on. Um, it's 
this is just sort of how baseball works in my mind that that the big free agent will go to the Yankees unless uh some you know it, all things being equal the Yankees will will get the best players in free agency and I mean this is so the other thing that that I take away from this is the Yankees were in a weird position have been really for a couple of years where they needed to upgrade their pitching but their the problem was not depth like we see like uh Jake Odorizzi going back to the Twins um for instance, you know the the Twins upgrading their their rotation is a lot easier than the Yankees upgrading their rotation because the Yankees had at least five, sometimes as many as six, seven, eight, uh, you know, just competent big league starters. They needed a guy like Cole in order to make a difference, and I think that's they saw you know even with Severino, even with with Tanaka, we saw the limitations of their rotation as previously constituted. I think this is it's it's hard to for one signing to make a big difference for a team that won a hundred games. But this is one of the few exceptions. I think that was exactly the point I was going to make, especially because in recent seasons, when the Yankees have had the opportunity to add a pitcher who would make a difference at the top of the rotation, they haven't done. So last winter, uh, they met with Patrick Corbin, but didn't offer him a sixth year. And the nationals did. He went to Washington and ended up winning, I believe, Game 7 of the World Series. And uh, a year before that, uh, I believe Ken Rosenthal has reported that they were talking about potentially acquiring Justin Verlander from the Tigers, but didn't want to take on his contract. And we all saw how that turned out in Houston. So I think the fact that the Yankees, uh, for as much as Brian Cashman has said, oh, I think we have the pitching to win. And they did. They came within a couple outs of making the World Series two times in three years. The fact that he said that, but then goes out and signs Cole shows that maybe he uh, maybe he ruse not going after Corbin harder, or maybe he just knows that Cole is this kind of pitcher. The Yankees have been enamored of him for a while. They drafted him in the first round out of high school back in 2008. He went to college instead. Uh, and then before the 2018 season, the Yankees tried to trade for him, but Pittsburgh chose Houston's trade offer instead. And the fact that the Yankees finally had, you know, a lot more agency than they did a couple of years ago to just overwhelm Cole with money might have gotten this deal done. Uh, and that is one advantage the Yankees certainly have had and can certainly use going forward. And I think what must be scary for other teams trying to compete with them is that for a long time, the Yankees just spent money and then they transitioned and they built up their player development system. And now if they can combine those two and develop players like Luis Severino and Glaber Torres while also signing the top free agents, it makes it really hard to compete. So this is a, a point that I, I sort of want to twist this and look at it from another perspective, because it, it certainly looks like free agency is behaving the way that it did maybe five years ago, where a lot of business is getting done at or before the winter meetings and Maybe we won't see some of the the other big dominoes fall, and you know, uh, certainly I think this puts a lot of pressure on the Angels, and we could talk about this later to to go out and get somebody like Anthony Rendon. But I'm interested. You know, we've seen the Grandal signing, we've seen Mustakis, but we've seen a lot of top end pitchers in a very deep market for pitchers. But it's going from from the essentially from the cream of the top, crop to the bottom because Cole Strasburg Wheeler were prob were the th- the the top three free agent pitchers in a lot of people's rankings. It wasn't mine, but I'm lower on Wheeler and higher on guys like Hyunjin Ryu. Jake Odorizzi took the 
uh, took the qualifying offer. And so now it's still, I think it's still a pretty deep pitching market, but I'll, but the, the top quality guys have come off the market. Now, you know, you're pretty much left with three and four starter guys. And it could get even thinner because we've seen uh, reports was this an Andy McCullough report as well uh, about the Dodgers potentially pursuing Madison Bumgarner, which would probably require Claire McNear to be uh, institutionalized if that happens. But uh, Ben, what do you think about about this market sort of filtering down mostly with pitchers and from the top to the bottom? Yeah, I mean, it's all happening so fast, which it's certainly a strong contrast to last year when, of course, Machado was unsigned until late February and Harper until early March. And we were just waiting and waiting and waiting. And this is far better than that. Granted, like if you have a a really busy November and December, then you are probably going to have a a correspondingly slow January, February, March. So there are going to be some dead times in the baseball offseason, regardless of what you do. But if this action happens fast and furious, then A, you get this hot spot of the winter meetings, which is kind of an offseason highlight. And you don't have this hanging over your head and the the head of the sport. And you get fans who are able to be excited about their team. And teams can construct marketing messages around the free agents they signed and sell season tickets and promote their plans. And we don't have to talk about, is there going to be a spring training camp for free agents? And are really good players going to sit out half of the season? And will that cause labor strife? And so a lot of that negative, a lot of that negativity goes away when business can it's done. Well, it might go away. It we'll see. You know, I'm still, I'm still in cautious optimism mode. Yeah, I, I don't think up. all the problems yeah. with free agency are solved, but certainly so far it has snapped back to the region of of what it used to be, which was not something that I was expecting before the CBA change. So I'm pleased that we've gotten even this reprieve, even if it's a temporary one. But yes, it it does seem like when the top guys go off the board so soon, suddenly everyone is scrambling and fighting over the fallback plans. And so now everyone's turning their attention to Bumgarner and Ryu and, and just whoever is out there still. And it seems like we've set the top of the market now. So Strasburg, you know, Wheeler signs for this much. Well, then Strasburg must be worth that much. And Strasburg signs for that much. Well, then Cole must be worth that much. And now we're going to go back down again. But still, maybe these top of the rotation pitchers have sort of dragged everyone's value up a little bit because you now have the teams that missed out on Strasburg and Wheeler and Cole who will be fighting extra hard for the remainders. And obviously they're not what these guys are, but if you're a team like the Angels, for instance, and you need a lot of help in the rotation, then you could conceivably sign a couple of those guys for what you would have spent on Cole, and neither of them would be as sure a thing as he is, but because they need innings and bodies, that could still conceivably work out for them. So... You mentioned the the Angels, and I guess I mentioned the Angels too. Uh, where does this leave them? Because they just made the Zach Kozar trade. Uh, they gave up Will Wilson, who was a, a first round pick last year, uh, to essentially move off of twelve million and change in twenty seventeen salary, uh, which feels to me like a coup for the Giants. But you know, it sort of leaves them in a desperate situation because Artie Moreno has been talking a big game. You know, we mentioned, I believe we talked about this on Monday that. Uh, that they're in a position where they feel like they need to go all in. And, you know, they've had just so much bad luck. Um, I feel like they're on year four of, well, this could work if if everything works out and nothing has worked out so far. Um, Is it Rendon or Bust for them? 
Well, I, I think he's the only one who could make a big enough difference to make up for missing out on Cole. I think they have to do something. I, I did a winners and losers reaction to the Cole signing, and I managed to make both the Angels and Mike Trout losers of this signing. I think because they have enough holes to fill that even Cole alone wouldn't really have gotten them where they need to go. If they were to spread that money around and sign two or three guys, then maybe that benefits them just as much. Or if they could land Rendon, he's about equivalent, I think, to adding Cole in in terms of short and long-term impact. So I can see it, but they really just need a rotation. I mean, they acquired Dylan Bundy. They have Shohei Otani coming back, but... Even those two guys, there are some questions about. And then behind that, it gets shakier and shakier. And even if you bring up Joe Adele and he's great and you get your usual star season from Trout, and even if some of the offensive supporting cast is a little bit better than it was this year, they're just not going to go anywhere unless they get some pitching help. And I don't know that they have it internally, at least that would be ready in the short term. And then you start projecting, well, here's another lost season with Trout in his prime. Here's another one. And this one was, uh, I think, their worst season by winning percentage since 1999. And that was even with Trout having an MVP campaign. So that's clearly not enough. I think at a minimum, they need to add multiple pitchers even beyond Bundy, whether that's signing Ryu and Keuchel or signing one of them and trading for someone like David Price, who the Red Sox seem to want to get rid of to shed his salary. Maybe the Angels, because they're not paying Cole $300 million, are able to slot David Price's salary in and take on a good prospect or another asset uh, for the privilege of being able to take Price off of Boston's hands. And I think that's a way potentially, you know, if Cole is going to be a six or seven win pitcher, the Angels basically have some replacement level pitchers. So you can replace this production with a couple, two or three win guys. And that's a way to improve. But I think given all the talk the Angels had about going all in, the fact that they didn't end up with Cole is a problem. The fact that they didn't end up with Strasburg is a problem. And this is where they're going to potentially need to get creative in filling out the rest of the roster with useful free agents because there are a lot of them left, whether it's the guys like Ryu and Keiko at the top or uh, the glut of middle infielders who might be able to help out just with some lineup depth. Uh, I think they're in a situation where they need to make a lot of moves now, now that the one big one struck out. Yeah, it's it, the this sort of goes back to the point I was making about the, the Yankees at the very start of the show is it's, you know, it's... um. It's very easy. I was just looking at the the Angels baseball reference page from last year. They only had one pitcher throw 100 innings. So it's not hard to to upgrade that rotation. Um, And that's before you think about Shohei Otani coming back in in some capacity. But it is, I think that's just going to be a huge rhetorical uh, kick in the chest from the game that they were talking. They've already struck out on Strasburg. They've already struck out on Cole. Two pitchers, Cole in particular, where there was a lot of talk about would they want to go back to the West Coast, uh, and neither of them turns out to have done that. And if they go back and and come back with, I don't know, like Gio Gonzalez, Josh Lindblom, and Nick Castellanos, like it's going to be a, a better team than it was last year. But you know, I don't know how you sell that to the fans. I don't know, you know, how you 
mollify Trout even once he comes out of his deer stand in Pennsylvania or wherever he is uh, and finds out what they missed out on. Um, it's Ben, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head. It's just another wasted year of Trout's prime. Yeah. I mean, the upside is that it seems like Trout is really easy to please because- Hey, the Eagles he, won on Monday against well, all yeah, odds. So he'll be in a better mood. But if he really wanted to maximize his earnings or his chances of winning, then he probably would not have signed away probably the rest of his career to the Angels. I mean, just based on the fact that they have barely gotten him to the postseason so far, and he's kind of been perpetually underpaid, even though he's making a lot of money, which is maybe just an occupational hazard of being so much better than every other player that you would just sort of break the salary scale. But he has not pushed for every dollar that he could possibly get. And clearly he was comfortable in Anaheim and he likes it there and he feels like the organization has treated him well. And so if he really wanted to pull out all the stops and say, all I care about is winning, then I think it would be hard for him to have made the case that staying with the Angels for more than a decade was the best way to accomplish that. But to be fair, like they have tried to yeah. put a good team around him. They just, <laughs> it just keeps failing. So it's not as if they haven't signed or traded for players who should have been good or haven't spent money at times during his career. It just keeps falling apart every time they try to put it together. I mean, if, if winning was priority number one for Trout, I'd say this from experience, he would not be so invested in the Eagles and Sixers. But uh, so I, I want to ask both of you one more question about Cole and then sort of try to tie this back together to the to the broader picture. He is now the highest paid pitcher in Major League Baseball history. Certainly that makes sense from a uh the the standpoint of his age and free agent status and the incredible, incredible season and playoffs he just came off of. You know, you talk about like he and Strasburg both hit free agency at the exact right time. Uh is he the best pitcher in baseball? If you had to have one pitcher to get you through the 2020 season, regular season and playoffs, is he the first guy off your board, Zach? I think so. The main reason being his age compared to the other contenders for this award or honor. It's not really an award like Max Scherzer. We've seen has had some injury issues. Uh, he's now in his mid thirties. Justin Verlander has been incredible, but he is also in his mid thirties. So I think it would probably be Cole versus DeGrom at this point. And I would give Cole the slightest edge just because of the contextual factors of like he has, uh, he's excelled in the American league as opposed to the national league the last two seasons. And you know, it's a little harder to set the all time strikeout record when you're not facing a pitcher twice a game. Uh, I think on the other hand, that, he did face the the Mariners and the Angels a lot. That's so. true. I, I think the fact that both of those pitchers now uh, pitch in New York could make for some fun, like New York Post back page headlines. That's uh, good. But, I'm going to write that down for spring training. Those would be, I think, my two leading contenders at the moment. Sorry to Lance Lynn. Huh. It's. I mean, Garrett Cole. I think is is uh, definitely the like the big hairy right hander archetype. He's just. He just throws a little bit harder. Ben, how does that sound to you? Yeah, I agree with just about everything Zach said there. I think those are the two guys it comes down to only because of Scherzer's infirmity toward the end of last season. But 
between that and Verlander's age, I think those are the two. If you go by the projections for 2020, Cole does have a, a slight edge and his stuff is just so overpowering that it's uh, obviously you never know how it will age. Right now, he throws almost as hard as anyone. His spin rates are off the charts. He is just so dominant. I mean, watching him in the playoffs last year, maybe it's just because his stuff is so good that you can clearly see why he's so great in a more transparent way than you can with DeGrom. I mean, DeGrom looks great too, but when Cole was just setting down everyone and and good playoff lineups, he looked completely untouchable. It looked like there was no pitcher on earth that you would rather have on the mound. And he is so durable. He hasn't been on the IL since 2016. He really hasn't suffered any serious injuries or anything concerning at all in the recent past. And he's thrown a lot of innings and he's built like you would want a workhorse pitcher to be built. So uh, there's just really no red flag to point to. Not that there are many with DeGrom either, but I agree. Cole gets the slight edge. Yeah, it's, you know, when you look at, I I think it's all about physicality if you're trying to make that that distinction between Cole and DeGrom because you look at the the things that Cole does well you know Cole throws a little bit harder uh, but both of them have tremendous secondary stuff tremendous location both of them are really smart pitchers um, and it's you know I, I don't think you can I, I certainly wouldn't bet on one outperforming the other next season it's just interesting because I sort of step back and you know Ben you and I in particular have been like we spent the first part of the 2010s, like litigating is Clayton Kershaw, the best pitcher in baseball. And like, you know, writing about, well, no, Bumgarner's not better. No, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Cliff Lee's not better or, or Scherzer until Scherzer finally took that, that crown. And if it, it just feels like all of a sudden, like sale got hurt last year. Kluber got hurt last year. Scherzer got hurt. And then, you know, you sort of see the end, maybe not now, but a, a year or two down the road for, guys like him and Verlander and Kluber. And, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting that this sort of consensus, at least uh, among us, maybe I just need to get more and more diverse friends, but, uh, it seems that like we've sort of developed the census consensus, like really in, in the past few months, um, just yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, I, I, seems I, like major league teams did too. Yeah, judging I, by I, the size of this contract. I, yeah, I, I was just surprised at like it does seem kind of obvious, you know. So mm-hmm. the other thing I wanted to talk about before we left um, is we're getting sort of a return to the kind of spending at the very top end of the market that that we're accustomed to, and you know, I, I think even just siloing it off like that is a little bit reductive because you know Grandal's. Grandal got paid, Mustakas got paid, Hamels got paid. Um, guys sort of in that that middle class who were getting frozen out for a couple off seasons. But the flip side of that is we're seeing, we, we I think all three of us have written at some point about the Mookie Betts trade rumors. The Chris Bryant trade rumors are, are heating up. And now uh, in the past couple of days, newlywed Carlos Correa is apparently on the block. And, you know, you, you think about, we talked about uh, Strasburg as the iconic um iconic national you know the the plan at least was for Correa to be that iconic astro uh and if if he hasn't been that i think that's more of a testament to the excellence of the other players around him but you know this is a superstar player in terms of production and celebrity um who you know it's just not not even particularly close to reaching free agency and the astros are as well set up as any team in baseball to contend for 
you know, short of a SMU type postseason ban uh, to contend for World Series titles for the next five years. And Correa's on the block. And it just sort of, I think the newly the newly active free agent market and it coexisting in, in kind of a in the same space as these superstar players being floated for for trade by good teams uh it's a it's a little tough to to get your arms around yeah i mentioned that in my column as one of the losers just fans of teams that are kind of crying poor even as other teams and in some cases their direct rivals are splurging on the top free agents and so if you're an astros fan you haven't had a great past couple months to begin with but now you're watching cole walk away and at the same time not only are the Astros making any real run at, at Cole, although they were rumored to have been one of the mystery teams that got involved late in that bidding, but now, yeah, they're talking about jettisoning Carlos Correa. So that's concerning. I mean, granted, the Astros, the Cubs, the Red Sox, these are not penny-pinching teams. They've invested in their rosters, and, and they've made a, a fair attempt to contend. They've They've brought the big player in when they've needed to, but still it really sort of strains credulity when you have these owners talking about how they can't spend unless they free up payroll. And meanwhile, you look at just how much money these teams must be minting. And again, the the competitive balance tax looms over everything. But if you actually look at what the penalties are, they just really are not that severe. Even if you're a repeat offender, uh, you're not talking about enormous quantities of money. I mean, the Red Sox paid, what, $12 million, I think, in penalties the year they won the World Series and had the highest payroll in baseball. That's not going to stop them from doing anything and if you win the world series as a result which clearly you can't count on but you can perhaps count on at least being a a contending team and making playoff run and getting revenue that way so it's really striking that you have these giant deals at the same time that you have other big market teams with big fan bases exercising this extreme restraint and i think that's especially true of houston which saved so much money during the tanking years in 2013 their payroll was below 30 million dollars for the entire 40-man roster so you would think that they would be able to roll over all of the money they saved now that the team is competitive and sure like you said it's not like they've been unwilling to go get a big contract unlike the yankees they traded for verlander last season they traded for granke i think assuming that garrett cole would leave and filling him in as a sort of replacement and they've given extensions to you know they Altuve was on what I term the worst contract in baseball mm-hmm. from a player perspective a couple of years ago. They made good with him with an extension. They extended Verlander. You know, they're spending not as much as I'd say the Red Sox and Cubs did when they were making their title runs. But yeah, it's it's just it you know, Ben, you said they're not pen, penny pinching teams. I think the Cub I think the the way I'd put that would be they have not been penny pinching teams. And mm-hmm. with the Cubs in particular, I'm troubled by the seeming reversal there. The interesting question I have for Houston is, even though I think we all realize that they weren't going to re-sign Cole, is what they do with their rotation now? Because it's kind of unsettled after Verlander and Granke. You have Lance McCullers returning after missing all of last season, and then a bunch of back-end guys like Brad Peacock and maybe some prospects if they emerge, Jose Arquiti, who was pretty good in October. But it's a lot less settled than we saw from the last couple seasons when they had one of the best rotations ever, which leads to my last question. I'm going to turn around your Garrett Cole question, Mike, which is, are the Yankees now the best team in baseball with Garrett Cole, not only on their team, but gone from 
perhaps their biggest rival. Yeah, I mean, we'll ask me again in about a month because we've got to see how the rest of the of the uh, free agency um, runs out. You know, I think it is possible the the Astros like they miss Cole, but they can fill that spot internally. You know, you mentioned McCullers and Urquidy. Forrest Whitley took a step back last year. Um, they've got a couple other guys coming up through the, although they traded some of their depth, like they got mm-hmm. rid of Bukowskis and Martin in the, um, in trades. And so, you know, yeah, I think considering how close those team, those two teams were, uh, even last season moving, you can make the argument, the Astros best player to the Yankees, uh, yeah, I, I think that you could, you know, I, I don't know if it's an open and shut case, but, you know, I, I think it's at the very least like a one in one a situation like you were describing with DeGrom and Cole. Right now, Fangraphs projects the Astros fifth starter as Rogelio Armenteros. Oh, yes. Who has a grand total of 18 innings of major league experience. So I'm sure they'll make an upgrade somehow. But right, that's why I said, yeah. tell me when when I know who their fifth starter is, because I suspect it will not be Rogelio Armenteros by the time <laughs> April comes around. Yeah, yeah. And the Yankees were a 103 win team last year. And obviously it was a very strange season because on the one hand, they were lucky in that they outperformed their base runs record by nine games, which was more than any other team. So their underlying performance was not quite that of a 103-win team. And in fact, by some metrics, the Rays may have actually been a better team, although they didn't have as good a record. On the other hand, the Yankees had that extraordinary, extraordinary injury stack where they sustained so many losses, a historic number of losses. And Granted, many of the replacements performed as well as the first stringers were supposed to have performed. So it's hard to analyze how good they are or how good they were. Obviously, they're excellent. But Zach, as you pointed out to me in the aftermath of the signing, three of the top five teams, according to Fangraph's projected war for 2020, are in the AL East. And we'll see whether the Red Sox actually do ship off Mookie or Price or, or anyone else, whether they get worse. But the bones of a, a very good team are still there. The Rays are still really good. So it's not as if the Yankees could have just waltzed to this division title. I think they're clearly the favorites with Cole. But if they had not made this investment, then I don't know that it would have been as obvious. And by doing this, by taking Cole away from the Astros, obviously they aren't direct division rivals, but they have been frequent playoff rivals and Yankees have been eliminated by the Astros a couple of times. And so now that the Yankees have stolen Houston's ace, they kind of have a leg up there. And really, we mentioned this, but their rotation was their weakness last year. Wasn't terrible, but it was mediocre. And now that they have Cole and they get Severino back for the full season and they bring back that great lineup and the shutdown bullpen, they don't really have any strong weakness that you could point to particularly. So I think probably right now they would perhaps be the team to beat, but not by a a big enough margin that some other team couldn't take that title away from them by spring training. I feel like we've spent more time on this podcast discussing what the Cole signing means for the Angels than the Yankees, but that's almost because it's obvious Cole makes the Yankees much better. And like you said, Ben, they don't really have any weaknesses if they bring Brett Gardner back to help man center field while Aaron Hicks recovers from surgery. I think the only positions they need to fill are like backup catcher and eighth reliever. And if that's your remaining to-do list for the winter, you're in pretty good shape. 
Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, obviously, the three of us can fill any period of time with any amount of actual baseball news on a podcast. But like something like the Robinson Cano trade from last year, where there are a lot of moving parts, and you know, something like that, I think is is a lot more complicated and interesting to discuss than best player in baseball, as we've established, gets signed by best team in baseball for record amount of money. Like the implications of that are. I think quite obvious. So uh, I'm glad you out there listening have stuck with stuck with us for about half an hour of, of reaching this incredibly obvious conclusion. Uh, Garrett Cole is good. Yeah, Garrett Cole also is good. real good. Um, so yeah, we will be back with uh, with more news as more news develops. Uh, until then, Zach, stay warm. Until then, uh, Ben. I guess you stay warm too. Uh, but, right. I don't have to shovel, so I'll be fine. All right. Man, city life, the city that never shovels. Apartment dwelling. And you don't drive either. Do they do the <laughs> the 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 lawn chairs and the parking spots thing in New York? Yeah, yeah, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no car. You don't have to. Man, that's got to be, that is, that, that has to be one advantage of living in New York. The first, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, I will talk well, to you guys. I can go see Garrett Cole in person. That's true. Yeah. It's pretty good. Having uh, having had that luxury myself a few times. All right. All right. We'll talk to you guys later.